That beautiful song is one of the ones that we're learning. It's one of the ones we sang in our singing night this past Sunday night. It's one of the ones I'm sure that Kelly will lead us in this coming Wednesday night. Remember Wednesday night, our kids and VBS will go on as normal. Uh, everyone else, youth through adults, will be in the chapel at 6.30, and we're going to be uh, having a singing night and working on those songs, and you'll be hearing more and more about that. You've already heard a lot about it, but that's coming up August 18th through 20th, our Praise and Harmony Workshop, and uh, we want to be ready for that great weekend and all that God will do for us as we sing with joy and love and adoration and worship to Him. Well, again, it's been said, but happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. It's, it's always fun to preach on Mother's Day and Father's Day. As I told our class this morning, Mother's Day, you want to make a really big deal, talk about mothers, about grandmothers, about godly women, about all the wonderful things that uh, women do for the Lord, for families, for the community. You have a very special, nice gift for them. Uh, dads, on Father's Day, you pretty much say Happy Father's Day and then go about your business. Um, but it's a wonderful time to celebrate, and I don't think that you'll be disappointed at all, guys, with the gift bag that you get on the way out. So hopefully all of our men will be able to be sure and get that. Uh, Joyce saw something on Nextdoor app a while back, a, a week or so ago, and it says this. An 80-year-old man was asked by a youngster how he kept his marriage so successful after all these years. How did you reach that conclusion? The surprised man inquired. Well, you always call your wife my love, my sweetheart, my honey. Oh, the man said, I just forgot her name and I'm afraid to ask her. <laughs> you got to love men. You got to love dads. Um, did you know that there's an official definition for a dad joke? There is, and I'll share it in a moment. But here are some examples, first of all. A duck walks into a pharmacy and says, give me some lip balm and put it on my bill. Yeah, I'm going to wait each time until you laugh a little. <laughs> what do sprinters eat before a race? Nothing. They fast. <laughs> I love this one especially. To whoever stole my copy of Microsoft Office, I will find you. You have my word. <clears throat> well, in 2019, the term dad joke actually made it into Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Here it is. A wholesome joke of the type said to be told by fathers with a punchline that is often an obvious or predictable pun or play on words and usually judged to be endearingly corny or unfunny. <laughs> that is exactly right. Exactly right. Because we don't tell them to be funny. We tell them to be funny about being endearingly corny or unfunny. One social media account dedicated to sharing dad jokes has 8.8 .8 million members. <laughs> dad jokes work on at least three levels as puns, as anti-humor, the opposite of humor, and as a kind of weaponized anti-humor when dads use them to teasingly annoy and or embarrass their children. Yep, that's what it's all about in teasingly annoying uh, or embarrassing their children. And it's interesting to me that my daughter's always said, Dad, you're embarrassing me. Like, that's going to stop me? That's only going to make me say another one. I just, I don't, I don't get that at all. Um, and so the most common one on one website was, Hi, Hungry, I'm Dad. 
after a child says, Dad, I'm hungry or bored in my case. Um, Other common dad sayings, see if you can complete some of these. Were you raised in a barn? After leaving the door open, of course. You think money grows on trees, right? And the one that my kids got me that for my socks, it says, I'm not sleeping, I'm just resting my eyes, just resting my eyes. And then I love this one, of course. If your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump with them? Right. Would you go after them? Um, uh, 51% of moms secretly enjoy dad jokes. Now, I want to talk to the other half of you ladies for a minute. I'm thinking that number should be more. Um, One in three dads use dadisms because it makes their kids laugh. One of the things about dad jokes, and this is actually, there's a link to a, an article or two on your, on your worship handout in the bulletin. One of the things about them is that what they've discovered, and this is actual scientific research, like any dad or granddad in this room couldn't tell them that this is true, and every child could tell them, uh, is that they help that relationship between dads or granddads and the children grow tighter. It's one of those things that just makes that connection. It's one of those things that build that relationship. And that is exactly the truth. And so this article says, Don't let their groans, their eye rolls, or their palpable irritation stop you. You're partaking in a long and proud tradition, and your embarrassingly awful jokes may even do them some good. Keep repeating the same old stale puns year in and year out. Through painful repetition, you get to experience the same old joke, go through waves of being unfunny, and then so unfunny that it becomes funny. (laughs) One day, you may overhear your own children spontaneously telling the same joke, perhaps when they themselves have become parents. So follow the science. Tell more dad jokes. Last month when we were on Mother's Day, I shared a passage from 1 Thessalonians 2 that talked about how Paul used a a very uh, uh, maternal metaphor when he said, we cared for you like a nursing mother cares for her children. Well, in 1 Thessalonians 2, the next couple of verses, verses 11 and 12, it says this, For you know we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God. 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 11 and 12. So Paul uses one metaphor that says it was like a mother, a caring, loving, nursing, gentle mother. But on the other hand, it's also like a father, a father that was encouraging and uh, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Though they will sometimes put their foot in their mouth, dads are not the experts on saying the wrong thing. That job was taken a long time ago in the days of Job. Job's friends offer clear examples of what not to say to the suffering and the grieving. I tell people, if you want to know what not to say when you visit the hospital or visiting someone that has lost a loved one, read Job's friends' speeches in the book of Job. And we're going to read some of them today. Uh, Job's friends offer clear examples of what not to say. If you ever wanted to know how not to do 
that kind of comforting ministry, this is where you go. What they say to Job to, quote, cheer him up, instead causes Job to think, with friends like these guys, I don't need any enemies. And so let's look at a few thoughts from Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. First of all, Eliphaz. Uh, We read him in three different places through the book of Job. As the structure of the book goes, as we've seen in chapters 1 and 2, it's God and Satan fighting over Job, and uh, Job's losses pile up. And then in Job chapter 3, Job lashes out at God, venting, and his friends have been there for a few days, and now they're hearing him go through all of this. And then the rest of of the book is a speech by one of his friends, and then Job responds. And then a speech by the next one, and Job responds. And that's how this goes. Up until another young man, Elihu, comes in just before God and seems to have a few more positive things to say. And then, of course, God hits Job towards the end. So first of all, Eliphaz. In chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, Eliphaz says this. Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God they perish. At the blast of his anger they are no more. Now here's something that we're going to read throughout this section of what Job's friends tell him. They're saying, look, we've always believed that the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And you're suffering and your kids have died. What does that say, Job? It says that they were evil. It says that you're evil. Has God ever struck someone that didn't deserve it and there's Job sitting there thinking hello yeah that's exactly what I've been saying chapter 5 verses 24 through 27 you will know that your tent is secure you will take stock of your property and find nothing missing you will know that your children will be many and your descendants like the grass of the earth you will come to the grave in full vigor like sheaves gathered in season we have examined this and it is true so hear it and apply it to yourself they're telling this to a man who has lost everything including his children (laughs) they just don't see the reality God will not let this happen to you they're saying. And Job says, God has already done this to me. Finally, from Eliphaz, his third speech in chapter 15. We'll just read this last passage in chapter 15, beginning at verse 9. What do you know that we don't know? What insights do you have that we don't have? The gray-haired and the aged are on our side. The righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. Man even older than your father. Are God's consolations not enough to you? Words spoken gently to you by them, they say. Why has your heart carried you away? And why do your eyes flash so that you vent your rage against God and pour out such words from your mouth? One thing in their favor is at least they got it. At least they heard Job saying these things to God and being upset not just with them but with God. And they heard that, and they understood it. They just couldn't take it. They couldn't let Job share those honest feelings of what he saw was wrong and how he was being treated. So a few comments also from Bildad is next. And he comes through a few times. But you see a little bit of a progression here. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Eliphaz seems to be the guy that's most wordy, most articulate, 
uh, perhaps the oldest because he starts the first. And then Bildad comes along and in a little bit less so, so much so that he has three speeches, but the last one is only six verses long. And then we finally get to Zophar in a few minutes, and Zophar only has two speeches. In those two speeches, he's already told everything that he knows. Bildad says this in chapter 8, one of the worst things I can imagine being said to Job. Chapter 8, then Bildad the Shuhite replied, how long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty for their sin. Can I just tell you that one thing you should not ever say to someone who has lost a child is they got what they deserve because they sinned. I don't think that's very helpful. And yet that's exactly what Bildad tells Job. Continuing in verses 5 through 7 in Job chapter 8. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous will your future be. And skipping down to verse 20, Surely God does not reject one who is blameless or strengthen the hands of evildoers. He will fill your mouth with laughter yet and your lips with shouts of joy. Your enemies will be clothed in shame and the tents of the wicked will be no more. Now I, perhaps they're just trying to help him to see this has an end. And, and that's not a bad thing, I guess. But what they're missing out is, that's not the reality right now. That's not where I am. (laughs) And saying that, Job, if you will just do right and not sin, God's going to make your life wonderful and beautiful. Number one, it's not true. And number two, it's not helpful. Yes, God will deliver us through whatever it is that we're facing. But that doesn't mean that he saves us from physical and even emotional struggles here in this life. Jesus laid that all to rest in John 16 when he said, in this world you will have what? Trouble. I did. Why would you think that it would be any different for you? It doesn't mean God doesn't love you, or it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It simply means that he has not spared you from this. And if you're not happy about that, by all means, Tell them. That's okay. We continue with Bildad in chapter 18. Just a couple of verses in chapter 18. Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, When will you end these speeches? Be sensible and then we can talk. If you're going over to someone who is in the midst of loss and anger, it's probably not a good thing for you to tell them, Be sensible, and then we can talk. Let them work through that. Be a friend that's trusted enough and close enough and secure enough to where you can let them rage for a bit and not try to tell them, look, settle down, settle down. My experience has been whenever I have gone to someone like that and have tried to tell them, look, settle down, settle down. You know you don't mean that. I'm doing that not for them, but for who? For me. Because they're making me very uncomfortable. 
And what they need at that moment is a friend that's close enough to them that they will be more compassionate about what they're going through that would cause them to say such things rather than their own sense of discomfort and even insecurity. God is big enough to hear that. And as we'll see in a few moments, He wants to hear that if that's how we truly feel. As I said, Zophar is the last of the three, and we'll just look at it, some verses from chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Oh, how I wish that God would speak so that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. Again, probably not the best thing to say to someone who's hurting, someone who's suffering. God is doing this to punish you for your sin. In fact, if you got everything your sins deserved, it'd be far worse. And that's going to make Job feel better. How? And then in verses 13 through 20, (laughs) Zophar offers the invitation. You can almost hear just as I am softly being sung in the background. uh, Somebody getting the cards out ready for Job to come forward and... Listen to what Zophar tells him in verses 13 through 20 of chapter 13. Keep silent and let me speak. Then let come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take uh, my life in my hands? Though he slay me. uh, I'm sorry, that's not the correct passage. I need to be in chapter 11, verses 13. That's a great passage, but that's in the coming week or two from Job. Chapter 11, verse 13. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble recalling it only as waters gone by. Life will be brighter than noonday and darkness will become like morning. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest in safety. You will lie down with no one to make you afraid and many will court your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail and escape will elude them. Their hope will become a dying grasp (laughs) and I'm sure he sat down ready for Job to fully repent and here's Job sitting there saying none of those things has happened to me and I gave God everything my whole heart I think there's a time to say some of the things that maybe his friends said but that's not what Job needed at that time So let's talk for a moment about Job and his friends and what he thought about what they said. Job 16, beginning at verse 1. Then Job replied, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? A little bit of sarcasm. I also, listen to verse 4, I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved. And if I refrain, it does not go away. In the first part of that, Job is saying, yeah, that's easy for you to say. Oh, yeah, sure. Just repent, Job. 
just do what's right, just don't sin, and God's going to bless you, and you'll have lots of kids, and your barn will be full again. And Again, they're making promises that aren't necessarily true. God has not promised that that's going to happen in this life. He's promised to be with us, whatever happens. And that may happen, it may not. Either way, God is with us. Either way, God will bless us for eternity. That's what's promised. And so Job says, oh yeah, I could make fine speeches. I could say all the same things that you say. But he said, if I were to speak and you were in my place, I would speak words of comfort. I would try to help. And then Job again voices the frustration. But even when I speak, the pain is still here. The pain of loss. And the physical pain of illness. And they were no help. Miserable comforters are you all, he told his friends. Well, that's all well and good, but what did God think about Job's friends? Well, we don't find that until the very last chapter, but we do find it in chapter 42, reading verses 7 through 9. This is after God's speeches to Job, which all, as you know, only include questions, no answers. (laughs) And Job's, first of all, acknowledgement of that, and then silence, and then God hits him with round two, and then Job repenting, which is what God wanted all along. Job 42, verse 7, After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Let that sink in for just a moment. All those horrible things that Job said that makes us very uncomfortable to hear. Just reading it in the Bible, imagine if your friend or your loved one was there saying those things to you firsthand. And God comes on the scene and he tells Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, I'm angry with you because you weren't honest. You tried to deny the reality of what was going on in Job's life. You pretended that he wasn't feeling the way he felt. You had these lofty, wonderful words of the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And Job, you're suffering so you must be wicked and you don't even see the life of this man and the hurt of this man. I'm angry with you and your friends because you've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Job spoke honestly with God. Verse 8, so now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me, God repeats, as my servant Job has. So they did that, what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So what should we do? We don't do what Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar did. Job obviously felt like he went too far because in the end, he repents. So what do we do? I can only tell you one thing. Be there. Just be there. I don't know what else to do. Be there. Put your arms around them. Cry tears with them when they're crying. 
When they say, I don't know why God is doing this. I don't know why God didn't spare me from this. I don't know why this has happened. Why has this happened? That's when you shake your head. And through watery eyes you tell them, I don't know either. I don't know. Be there. That's what they need. David Wicks alluded to this passage from 2 Corinthians 1, the God of all comfort. And in that passage, the God of all comfort, Paul says, God comforts us so that we can do what? Comfort others. Comfort others. Not make them feel worse in their pain, but to be there for them in the midst of that pain. And not be intimidated and not be afraid and, or at least not let that fear stop us from being there. Don't be that one talent man who goes and digs a hole and hides because he's afraid. We must not let fear keep us from being there for others. Be there. Share in their suffering. Share with them your hope. Share with them the gospel. Remind them of what Eric so wonderfully reminded us of today, of what God the Father went through by giving His Son. And to let them know that that's how much God loves them even though they may not understand it right now. What a friend we have in Jesus. And I think Job could have almost written these words, Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care, precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake me? Could Job ever say that? Take it to the Lord in prayer, in his arms, He'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. This morning, if we can help you find that comfort, that solace, take it to the Lord in prayer with you and for you. Help you to come to Him through baptism for forgiveness of sins to be in a relationship with this loving Father. Come as we stand. Sing this great hymn together.